T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Oh, yeah. 100 years ago today in Major League Baseball, the most tragic pitch in the history of baseball. I grew up hearing about this from my uh, baseball nut father. Maybe you did as well. It was at the Polo Grounds in New York, a weird stadium that uh, was in an oval because they played polo there. You might have picked that up from the the name of the stadium, but it was 88 degrees. It was muggy. It was a little bit after um, three o'clock in the afternoon and they were playing. The Indians uh, were in a tie with the White Sox. It was a big game. The Yankees were a half game back and were throwing their ace, a pitcher named Carl Mays. A side, um, a side arm pitcher who was really good, had 18 wins, was going for his 19th win at the time, 100 years ago today, middle of August in New York. Indians were up 3-0 through four innings on Carl Mays. And Ray Chapman was the shortstop leading off the fifth inning for the Indians, a very well-liked player, a popular guy, popular member of the Indians. Chapman and um, the Indians up 3 nothing, and walked out to the plate. And, you know, it, it, Carl Mays, not just a side armor, was really a submariner before they called them that. Think Kelly Wunsch. We're talking about a delivery where he's a knuckle dragger, lower than uh, than Steve Ciszek. You know, really low. Who was the guy on Oakland? God, who am I thinking of? He was also a Marlins closer. Uh, yeah, not Bradford. There's there's more. Keep digging. Um, yeah, yes, Bradford is one of them. But there was a, an Oakland A who was also a closer for the Marlins, and I'm not talking about Ciszek who was a submariner, and he literally looked like a knuckle-dragger. Brad Ziegler. That's it. Thank you, sir. Brad Ziegler. That Carl Mays threw it like Brad Ziegler did. And Ray Chapman, you know what he was great at? Was bunting. And he set up to bunt. And Mays had been planning to go down and away and decided to go up and in. And... 
Ray Chapman was set up to bunt. And the pitch came in high and tight. Carl Mays um, picked the ball up after it hit Ray Chapman in the head and threw it over to first base where Wally Pip got the out. Yes, pre-Lou Gehrig. Wally Pip got the out. And then Tris Speaker is coming up next, and it's going to be a more important at bat. So everybody's looking at that. But then as that was happening, somebody screamed, time, time. And there was Ray Chapman on the ground, completely unconscious. And somebody screams, we need a doctor. Is there a doctor in the house? And it's 100 years ago today, and Ray Chapman ended up dying, killed on the field 100 years ago. And, and it's, it's always in the back of my mind as to the dangers of throwing a baseball at somebody's head. I know helmets are now used and helmets are good. And there are ways to, uh, to protect oneself. But this happened on a baseball field. Dude was hit in the head. It's a sidearm pitcher against a guy in bunting position after a change in approach, a change in the plan. And this can happen. So don't throw at anybody's freaking head. And I've felt that way about some of the greatest pitchers in the game. Pedro Martinez was too much of a headhunter, man. Too much. You want to hit somebody? You want to scare somebody? You want to brush them back? You've got control. Keep it in the middle of the body. Brush them back that way. I know that it's, it's, it's exciting to... You know, as a pitcher, see a guy back away and drop down to his butt and you've terrorized him. And maybe that makes your breaking ball on the outside corner that much more difficult to hit. But don't throw at somebody's head. Ray Chapman forever in the back of my mind. That's 100 years ago today. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on 670 The Score. Also 100 years ago today, the Negro Leagues... We're starting. The Negro Leagues were getting going. And usually there is a, a, a day that baseball honors Jackie Robinson that everybody wears number 42, and it happens in April. This year they've uh, found a way to make it happen here in August. And today you'll see everybody in 42. As Gonzo told us earlier, you will see the Cubs wearing a patch on the shoulder. And the Cubs are going to show a virtual first pitch video. I think the White Sox are too. But the Cubs one is going to feature Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick and the Cubs Hall of Famer Billy Williams. Yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse, Bruce Levine and I had a chance to talk to Jerry Hairston Jr. Now, Jerry Hairston Jr. is a third-generation MLB ball player, one of only three third-generation MLB families, along with the Boons and the Bells, the Hairstons had five members of the family play big league baseball. Like the Delahanty brothers in the early part of the century, there were five of them. The Hairstons, it was over three different generations. Also, there were four other Hairstons that played in the minors. Nine Hairstons playing professional baseball. Amazing. And the grandfather, the... Um, the, the archetypal Hairston, the, the big boss baseball man of the family, was Sam Hairston, who played in the, in the Negro Leagues 
and also played one year for the Chicago White Sox. Here's Jerry Hairston Jr. yesterday on Inside the Clubhouse with me and Bruce talking about his grandfather and the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. Well, first and foremost, uh, we are very appreciative of Major League Baseball, you know, recognizing the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And, you know, like you mentioned, tomorrow uh, they're going to be wearing uh, number 42 league-wide, Jackie Robinson's number. So really appreciate that. I know a lot of players are happy about that. Uh, But when we talk about the Negro Leagues, you know, obviously uh, I think about my grandfather, Sam, and and the many ball players, talented ball players, that really uh, sacrificed a whole lot to give uh, opportunities to so many, not just black players, but Latin players as well. Uh, There wouldn't be Ken Griffey Jr., there wouldn't be Frank Thomas, there wouldn't be Sammy Sosa, there wouldn't be so many uh, black and Latino players if it wasn't for them. So it's great that they are recognizing uh, the history of the Negro Leagues and how important and how vital it was uh, for um, that process to take place so others can have an opportunity. So definitely appreciative of my grandfather. I know my grandfather, when I used to talk to him uh, when he was alive, uh, there was never anything bitter. You know, he thought it was an incredible uh, opportunity to play in that league, play with hmm. and against great players. Uh, and I grew up learning about Double Duty Ratcliffe, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, uh, Larry Doby, so many great players, and uh, just very fortunate that uh, my grandfather did play a little bit in the big leagues and was able to pass on the game of baseball to his sons and his grandsons. That's amazing that you had that opportunity to learn that stuff from him. Jerry uh, Jerry Harrison Jr. was playing at Southern Illinois in 96 and 97, Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley Conference Freshman of the Year, uh, playing in the Cape Cod Leagues, and your grandfather passed in 97. But it's wonderful to hear and have read before, but, but tell us a little more about the kind of conversations you had with him and some of the stories he would tell you about those players and about his experience in the Negro Leagues. What a, what a great gift in your life to be able to have uh, a living and, and sharp-witted grandfather around to tell you those stories for as long as you did. You know, and, and you made a great point. It definitely was a gift and something that I started to really appreciate after uh, I, I started to grow up a little bit in my 20s and, and early 30s. But, you know, as a kid... You know, learning about black history in school, you know, we do some projects, you know, about Negro League players. And I remember a kid in seventh grade doing a project uh, on the Negro Leagues, and he talked about Double Duty Ratcliffe. And I was like, man, Double Duty Ratcliffe was at my house about six months ago. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing. You know, I started to really appreciate, you know, all these great players that were friends with my, my grandfather and friends with my dad. You know, and Double Duty Ratcliffe spent a lot of time in Chicago. In his later years, he lived in Chicago. So, you know, I got a chance to know him. So I was very fortunate to know so many, um, you know, ex-Negro League players because of my family. You know, so I was, uh, you know, I I definitely, I'll tell you a quick story. So, you know, my grandfather, you know, a guy that obviously was a no-nonsense type of person, you know, always shot you straight. You know, and I remember when I was a kid, you know, I think it was in Naperville Little League and at a rough game, you know, say, hey, man, I drove all the way up here to see two pop-ups. And I was like 10, 12 years old at the time. And my dad's like, dad, you can't. My dad, my dad was like, dad, you can't talk to him like that. You can't talk to him like that. And he goes, shut up, boy. I'm, I'm talking to my, my, my grandson. And the next, day, the next day I go three for three with three ropes. But that was that motivation. Even at a young age, I, I needed that. I love that about my grandfather. So, again, I was very fortunate to, wow. to be around him, know him. And he was the one who urged me to sign uh, after my sophomore year of college. He said, hey, man, you're ready to go. And for him to give me that seal of approval 
like, hey, let's go. You're, you're ready to play pro ball. That gave me added yeah. confidence. And I knew if my grandfather said I was ready, I was ready. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool when your grandpa is somebody who played and who played like that and Jerry Harrison to realize the power of, uh, of having that man in his life. Just, just pretty damn cool. Um, Ernie Banks played in the Negro Leagues and ended up a Cub. There were others with the Cubs. Sam Harrison played in the Negro Leagues and ended up a White Sox. There were others with the White Sox as well. It is hit and run here on 670 The Score. Looking forward to seeing um, all those 42s out there and any of the tie-ins on the broadcast this afternoon. We have lineups for both teams. Today, John Lester against the former Korean League pitcher, John Lindblom, for the Cubs over at Wrigley Field, 120 is game time. 12-20 is pregame time right here on 670. The score. Chris Bryant leads off. Then Rizzo, Contreras, Schwarber, Steven Souza Jr. in left field. Center field, Ian Happ. Right field, Jason Hayward batting seventh. Nico Horner playing short. Hits eighth. Jason Kipnis the start at second base and hits nine. You heard there is no Javier Baez in that lineup. So Javi getting the day off. After some brutal at-bats yesterday, David Ross asked about it after the game, defended Javi, um, and says that he still hits the ball hard when he does. Uh, Javi's an obvious huge asset, not an asshat, but an asset in the field. But, man, offensively, Javi is, as Joe Madden always used to say, is taking out the driver. He's got the driver working just about all the time, regardless of the situation. Here's the magic, by the way, in the opposite field approach for Javier Baez and really for a lot of other guys who swing like that and why Madden was always on Javi to do it. Because, first of all, he's got enough power to hit it out to the opposite field, as you know. Second of all, when you are thinking oppo, if you're a little bit early, you're pulling that for a home run. Or maybe you're hitting it to center field for a home run. You're hitting it hard. It also, you know what having the opposite field approach does? It puts it in your head that you have a split second more, the six-tenths of a second that you have as you're deciding whether to swing. It's, it's a little bit longer when you're thinking opposite field. So you're kind of subconsciously tricking your own brain and helping yourself to give yourself a little more time to figure out what the pitch is, where it is, and whether to swing at it in general. So no Javi Baez in the lineup today. Good for Steven Souza Jr., by the way, having his best moment in baseball in two years with that late home run to tie the game. That, that was awesome. He's an extremely talented guy with a chance to be an effective player for a few more years here. A, a, like a five-tool guy when healthy. You can steal a base, can play all of the outfield positions and he gets another shot in the lineup today against Josh Lindblom. For the White Sox going against the Cardinals today, Tim Anderson leads off again. Yoan Moncada hits second, Grandal third, Abreu fourth, Eloy Jimenez fifth, Encarnacion sixth, Luis Robert down at seven. Leave him right there. That's okay. You don't have to move him up because you want your grinders up top. Anderson needs to be a little more grindy and see more pitches. Moncada does. Grandal does. Jimenez was more of a grinder in the minors than he has shown at times. He does pounce and ambush, but that's okay if you have that reputation as a guy who will see pitches. It's okay to pounce and ambush. You can, you can do a lot on uh, pitch one, pitch two. 
So it's a balance, but Jimenez needs to be a little bit more patient. His comments after the game yesterday were thoughtful, and we should get to those at some point here. Maybe we will with Ryan McGuffey next um, or a little bit later on in the hour. Robert Seven, Nomar Mazzara in right field. Danny Mendick, Danny Mendick, excuse me, uh, hits ninth, and Dallas Keuchel on the mound today. Nomar Mazzara in right field. Mm. Saw the stat from Chuck Garfine earlier that Nomar Mazzara is not getting it done against righties, and Adam Engel actually is. Nomar Mazzara against right-handed pitchers, a 333 on base, a 190 slugging, three for 21 with a double, no RBIs. Adam Engel, ironically enough, versus righties as a right-handed hitter, 313 on base, 467 slugging, eight for 30 with three doubles, a homer, and two RBIs. And an obvious defensive upgrade out there for Engel. Is it time to just let Engel play instead of Mazzara? We're talking about you're talking about your eight hitter. You're supposed to be able to give Mazzara a little time, but he certainly does need to produce. And now you are one third of the season in. You're 10 and 11. It doesn't look good. We're going to see more Adam Engel in right field than Omar Mazzara. I'm cool with that. 670, the score is where you are. We will talk to Ryan McGuffey, Chuck's partner with the Sox Talk podcast at 1040. Tony Gwynn Jr. joining us at 11. Chris Kampka, the Sultan of Stat from NBC Sports Chicago at 1140. We're here until 1220 today for Cubs pregame. When we come back, a little bit more on the embarrassing actions of those players who violated protocol and the serious damage that their organization might be carrying out on the both of them. We'll do that next on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. The vibe I got. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I was in Cleveland for those two games. The vibe I got the second day was that this is pretty much uh, probably going to be the end for Clevenger's stay uh, in Cleveland, that um, there's just been too many issues you know off the field with him and, and this is probably the last straw um getting back to their time in lake county um i was reading a story which says uh, their service time could be really manipulated against them to where it, this because this could really cost them because we're talking about prorated service time here and you know a few days becomes a week and it, it adds up to the point where um, these guys could, could lose a, a full year of service time or in the case of police act, he's not going to be arbitration eligible for a little bit longer now. So um, this is very costly, but at the same time, I mean, this, this pandemic's bigger than baseball. I don't think these guys realize it and they're going to pay a price for it. I think rightfully so. 
That was great stuff from Mark Gonzalez of the Tribune. Glad I asked him about the Indians situation um, last hour. Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak in trouble. And it really speaks to all of society and all of sports that you got to be looking out for more than just yourself. You really do. Because it's not just about you and your perceived invincibility and your perceptions of what is allowable when you go out with, what was it, eight buddies and you go out someplace, then you go back to somebody's house and you play some card games and all that. And that's a complete and utter violation of protocol in terms of leaving the hotel at all. Not just leaving the hotel, but doing that with eight of your pals. And then Clevenger lying to his teammates the next day as they're talking about it. Man, that's Zach, please. Can you believe what Zach did? That's brutal. Mike, what do you think? Yes, I agree. It is brutal. Let's make him drive home. All right, let's get on the flight together. Hey, uh, while we're on the flight, let's talk. And what, Mike, hey, Mike, I heard you were out with him. What, what me? No, uh, I no, I wasn't. And yet you're here you are on the flight with us, exposing teammates. What the hell's wrong with you? And then Zach Plesak doubles down in a really ugly way. He, he puts out a video on his Instagram while he's driving, looking into the camera uh, between the seats, I guess, up on the dash. I don't know what he was using to hold the phone, but he's one hand on the wheel, driving, eyes darting all over the place and blaming us bad jerks in the media. Here's a bit of Zach Plesak's quote apology, unquote, on Instagram the other day. What's up, guys? Happy Thursday. Uh, I want to get on here and, and clear the air on some stuff, kind of voice my opinion, voice um, some raw emotion to you guys, and, and get out the truth so that you guys um, can kind of understand what's happening so we can all be on the same page because... The media really is 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 terrible, man. The, the media is terrible, and they do some evil evil things to create stories and to make things sound better, uh, makes things sound worse. And truthfully, I'm disgusted the way the media has handled this whole situation um, surrounding our team. Yeah, out in Chicago, um, we we played the White Sox in a day or a couple days prior to, to leaving for this trip. The MLB came up with these new protocols that required a curfew and, and some other things that would keep us more isolated as, as baseball players and contain us more in, in like a bubble type sense. Um, and after my start, I went out to dinner with some buddies. We ended up going back to his place, same group that we went to dinner with. And we opened up baseball cards, picked our top two dudes from each pack. We're throwing bets down, you know, just having a good time, hanging out. Um, we broke curfew. I came back late. And I was reported by MLB security being out in public and coming back late to curfew. And the president of baseball operations decided to quarantine me for three days so that just in case, you know, if I was exposed to COVID, then it wouldn't spread to the rest of the team. 10 people or less is considered a very safe, safe gathering, especially if you're six feet apart. Completely and utterly did not get the message. Completely and utterly did not realize the gravity of what he's done. Blaming the media. Poo-pooing the entire thing. Gross. 
And what happened was the players all got together on Monday in Detroit. Before we get there, let's go back to Friday when Dan Plesak, Zach's uncle, was on with McNeil and Parkins. He was on with them talking about this, and uh, Dan Plesak not happy with his nephew. I've tried to express to my nephew to let your right arm do the talking, right? Because that, that, if, if that, that is the avenue, and I think what's get, what gets lost with a lot of athletes is, you, you know, the football throwing, the tackling, the catching, the baseball throwing, the hitting, that takes care of everything else. Because people really don't care. Like, they, they want to watch you play. They want to watch you perform. And, and I, I do say this, that a, a lot of younger players and, and the younger millennials, you know, there's a presence on social media, on Instagram and Twitter that they feel like they have to uphold. And uphold you know what I mean? And the bottom line is the really important thing are the 28 other players on that Indian staff they were let down. Those other players on that team felt let down and angry. Adam Plutko was talking about this. Adam Plutko, Indians pitcher, who was going to make another start in place of Clevenger, was talking about this and said that those teammates hurt them badly. They hurt us bad. They lied to us. They sat here in, in front of you guys and, and publicly said things that they didn't follow through on. And it's, it's going to be up to them. It, it really is. And, you know, I'll let them sit here and tell you how they're going to earn their trust back. I don't need to put words in their mouths. They didn't earn the trust back. On Thursday night, as the Indians made their way to Detroit, to Birmingham, Michigan, where they stay in the hotel when they're playing against the Tigers, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak were driving uh, their cars individually, not together, put all their gear in their cars, drove to Michigan. At the team hotel Friday morning, Clevenger and Plesak addressed the team, the organization, the coaching staff. Uh, it was a Q&A, people listening uh, through comments their way, had uh, an, an open conversation. After the meeting, the president of the team, Chris Antonetti, the GM, Mike Chernoff, whose dad runs uh, um, the fan, in, in New York and even more in the sports radio business. Uh, Terry Francona and the pitching coach, they got together and then they optioned them down, sent them to East Lake, Ohio. So they had to drive all the way to Michigan, stay in a hotel one night, <clears throat> and then turn around and drive back to East Lake, Ohio. And they're going to get screwed. And so it goes. Mike Clevenger, you heard Gonzo say this could be the end of him. In Cleveland, 27 days short of reaching the service time that he would need to stay on track, become a free agent after 2022, might get screwed out of that. Zach Plesak, not going to hit arbitration quite as early as he would have, potentially. Damage to their careers, to their livelihoods, and deservedly so. It's 670 to score. Matt Spiegel is who you're listening to on Hit and Run. Big, big stuff, you know? And it, it's a really ugly, ugly look. Yeah, we broke curfew, he says, even in that snippet. Completely and utterly missing the point, justifying what he did. And as a texture says, giving us radio 
and television gold. A few other things we're going to get to here along the way. Um, in a moment, we're going to take a break and then talk to Ryan McGuffey of the White Sox Talk broadcast. I, I have felt this way in general. And yesterday only kind of cemented it for me. I love our broadcast teams in this town. On television, and certainly Pat and Ron here on the radio. Okay? Absolutely love our broadcast teams. One of the things I miss the most, and I am reveling in the most, is hanging out for three to four hours, or two to three hours, with Benetti and Stone, with Pat and Ron right here on the score. And you'll hear them coming up, pregame at 1220 with Zach Zabin, and then the game at 120. And with Len Casper and Jim Deshays on marquee. And before that, on the other networks. I think Len and JD are terrific together. They have a well-earned chemistry. They've worked together for years. They communicate well with each other. It is a dry humor, but it works for me very much. They are curious. They'll throw out um, trivia and tidbits and questions strategically. They're open-minded. They make the most of the room that a baseball game provides conversationally, thematically. Such, such a good broadcast team. I don't think they need anybody else. I know what Marquis is doing with, with all these other guys and trying to get them in there. And because of COVID, they were going to be doing even more than this, but it hasn't worked. Things are really, really awkward when you're not personally there with each other. It has worked the best with Dempster, when Dempster is one booth over and the relationship is really solid and they're close enough that they can probably make a little bit of eye contact, <laughs> if need be, from one booth over. And also just Dempster is completely locked in. He's here and he's present. And the relationship is there. The stuff with, with others and with, with Mark Grace has been awkward. And I yesterday, Grace obviously went to a really ugly place and talking about his ex-wife. He ended up apologizing about it after the game because he realized that it was an ugly place. And Len and JD were in a very helpless position. I loved um, Len throwing in a little meathead. Said, well, you know, does that make you meathead? Well, the moment sure did, in my opinion. I don't need to hear anybody but Len and JD personally, except maybe me. That would be the only thing. I would say if they want to do a third person in the booth, you with me on this, Sean? Like, if Marquis really wants to do a third person in the booth, or for that matter, if NBC Sports Chicago wants uh, to do a third person in the booth, I would recommend me. Other than that, probably nobody. Yeah, I would say you. Uh, I mean, we, we know that you have great calls of guys being thrown out at second base. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think that especially in the time of COVID, I don't think it's worth it. Just have the two guys. It does. It, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I, I don't think it works in the time of COVID. Man, I hate doing talk shows with partners um, in COVID. I, you, know, you know, I have found a way to do it with a partner. You know what we do? When me and Danny Parkins did a couple weeks together when I was in for Mac, we found, you know what we did? We did a four-hour FaceTime call. Four-hour FaceTime call so we could look at each other and actually get honest reactions and have a chance to find the rhythm that it takes to really do the job well. It's just so difficult. So for that reason, and just because Len and JD are so good, I'd love to see them be the ones allowed to do the broadcast by themselves. We've got a play at the plate. Descalso is going to be dead. 
See? I mean, that's what you get if you add me into the mix. Pat and Ron, maybe Mitch is listening, you know? That's the kind of bonus you could get. So the only, the only third man in the booth I would recommend is me. It's Matt Spiegel here on 670 The Score. We'll come back and talk White Sox with Ryan McGuffey next. Tony Gwynn Jr. at the top of the hour. Really looking forward to that. In his first Chicago radio interview regarding the firing of Jim Boylan and the new head coach search, Bulls Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Arturis Karnaschovas, will talk exclusively to Chicago's sports morning show, Mully and Hall, tomorrow morning at 8.30, only on Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago's official radio home of the Bulls, a radio.com sports station. This is Sports Radio 670, The Score, and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Bullpen up and going. Genesis Cabrera, brother Deuteronomy, pitched in the Seattle organization. I will always be your sledgehammer. <laughs> Come on, Benetti, really? You got to go to Gabriel solo? Come on. I, I know Lamb Lies Down on Broadway reference might not work. Carpet crawlers? You do that next time there's like a, a, a worm burner going through the, uh, the, the infield. Call it a carpet crawler in honor of Genesis. It'd be especially outstanding if Genesis Cabrera is on the mound. That from NBC Sports Chicago yesterday. That's the only place you find White Sox games, and uh, they've been really, really fun to have and to watch and bring into our lives. Let's welcome in the senior producer from NBC Sports Chicago, who uh, is also the head of content uh, about White Sox stuff over at the White Sox Talk podcast, Ryan McGuffey, who joins us right now on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. What's up, Guff? How are you? I'm good. I'm hoping today's better, but I'm good, Matt. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. Yeah, yesterday was rough. I spent a, a large portion of the first hour talking about the collective offensive approach of the White Sox, breaking down the the 34 pitches they allowed. Uh, the, who, who's the kid? Woodford, right? Jake Woodford yeah. making his MLB debut. 34 pitches in three innings in the second game after you got skunked in the first one. Giolito threw 34 pitches in the first inning of the first game. I... I, I know it's hard to teach, but but they need to learn to have a better collective offensive approach, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, look, when you have Danny Mendick that has a higher OPS right now than the three guys you brought in to be a big part of your offense, and you have Monty Grandel, Edwin Encarnacion, and Omar Mazzara, you know, with all due respect mm-hmm. to Danny Mendick, you would look at that and say, wow. Mendick's having an MVP-type season. Well, no, Danny Mendick's actually probably one of the nice surprises for the White Sox, and the other three are colossal disappointments. And those are the approaches that you brought in, guys like Yasmani Grandal, to teach some of these guys' approach. And you've made a hitting coach switch, and right now it's just not translating. So so, so what is it? Uh, because Grandal still has... Good at bats here and there, yeah. and Encarnacion still has good at bats here and there, um, but the the mix just just isn't really happening right now. And I don't know, you know, it's so difficult to teach. I I don't even want to point at Manichino because 
because no. to me, I guess it's it's larger. It feels like it's larger, like it should be an organizational mandate and should be happening from the very tippity top on down. I mean, it's a scapegoat, right? Like everybody wanted Todd Steverson gone. He's gone, and like here we are again. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, it has to be something. It's top down. I mean, here's my thing. Like everyone wants to find somebody to blame right now, you know, especially when it's bad. And with the White Sox, it's, this roller coaster is just incomplete. Like, there are times when it's, like, really fun and you laugh and you can't wait for, like, the next drop. And then when it drops, there's nothing, like, there's just nothing left on the roller coaster. So you're kind of waiting. That's, like, where we're at right now. It's been, there's been some fun and there's been a lot of, like, misery. And I tweeted yesterday something, like, after the first game about how they're 9-6 and six in their last 15, but it's about how they're 9-6, and six, you know. It's about if it was nine, like if you had told me at one and four, they're going to go nine and six in the next 15 and they're going to get back to 500, you'd probably go, okay, like that's good. They're going to be playing better baseball and life's going to be better. And it's just kind of like there's just so much. It's not just the hitting. I mean, the, the, the hitting is just feast or famine. You know, they've had major injuries, but like no one's making, like other teams have their own things. Look at the Cardinals. I mean, the Marlins. Everyone's got their own – the Indians, you know, you were talking about them in your last segment. Everyone's got stuff going on, and it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of put your finger on the pulse of whether it be offense or pitching or whatever it might be. There's just very little room for error right now with the White Sox. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's rough all around. There were defensive uh, miscues yesterday. There were bullpen issues from a bullpen that's been really good. I mean, Evan Marshall got hit up around yesterday, and he was, you know, probably the yeah. best guy in that bullpen for the first first couple weeks of the season. Um, what could tangibly happen right now? Is it it's only 21 games in, but is it time to to not give Nomar Mazzara the time and space yeah. to figure things out and write and let Adam Engel, who gives you professional at bats and a much higher caliber of defense? Let Adam Engel play out there. Is it time to do that, perhaps? I think it's, uh, yeah, the, the leash should be tight and short for a lot of, you know, for everyone. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, Nomar Mazar is, you know, we're not getting, we're not even, we're, we talked about, we, all, we heard a lot about, you know, the, the, the untapped potential the White Sox were getting with Nomar Mazara. But we're not getting Texas Rangers Nomar Mazara. Like, if, he was hit, if, if Texas Rangers Nomar Mazara was hitting eighth, I, I thought Nomar Mazara hitting eighth with, the potential for 20 and 80 was a very dangerous sneaky eight hitter. And, and, and that would be really good. And right now it's just really bad. Now I'm trying to like, he obviously had, he was sick and fought back and he's back in the lineup. Other players have done that too. Yoan Mankata was sick, came back, was really good for a while. And now he's kind of in a rut, but yes, I mean, I do agree with you. Adam Engel showed in his plate of like when he did make starts and when he did make, you know, part-time appearances, that he was lively from the from the onset. He took he. I thought it was the best Adam Angle we've ever seen. To be quite honest with you, uh, his approach at the plate was good. He was working counts. He even walked, and that was something talking with Adam Angle in past years that he was very aware of. Even though he's not that type of hitter, so I do agree with you that if you're getting, it's one thing to let a guy come out of something when the rest of the offense is working. When the whole offense seems to be feast or famine or broken at, at the same time, you gotta. There's not a lot of room to have a guy hitting 167 in your lineup when he's rolling over ground balls a lot of the time. So I, I do agree with you. 
Yeah, it's one of the awkwardness, uh, one of the bits of awkwardness about this season is that it's a very worthy flyer to take a shot at Nomar Mazzara in a full season when you've got the time and space to work it out. But all of a sudden, you don't have the time and space to work it out. Last thing for you, Guff, uh, tell people what a loss it is to lose Leori Garcia for the rest of the year, not back until October, if there is an October. It's funny because so many people, like, he's one of those guys that you'd never appreciate until he's gone. And I, I, Ricky probably wouldn't say it like in a media session, but if you pulled him aside and asked him who his favorite player was, I, I really believe in my heart that he'd say Larry Garcia. He has that, he just, he's that Swiss Army knife that every team covets and not every team has. And I always, I, I've been saying this the last few years in, in the NBC Sports Chicago newsroom that he, like Joe Madden, would love Larry Garcia because he'd find mm-hmm. a way to use him in every spot. And honestly, like, he's one of those guys that seems to frustrate you, and then you realize why he's on the team and why his role is so valuable. To lose him for the rest of the season, now, you're, now the spotlight is shining on Danny Mendick. It is right now, unfortunately, shining on Ryan Goins. Until you get Nick Madrigal back, I mean, your middle infield until last week was completely out. So Tim coming back is a big, big help. They need Nick Madrigal back. They need Danny Mendick now to be their Swiss Army knife to fill that Larry Garcia role, which he has the cap of. It's he's a poor man's Larry Garcia, which tells you how valuable Larry Garcia is. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Thanks, Guff. Appreciate it, man. Have a great day. We'll talk to you anytime, buddy. Absolutely. You got it. You got it. It's Ryan McGuffey from the Sox Talk Podcast. Hey, today at 11 o'clock, today at 11 a.m., we'll be joined by Radio.com Sports MLB insider Tony Gwynn Jr. with a look at West Coast baseball and more. Looking forward to doing that next when we come back on Hit and Run right here on 670 The Score. Blackhawks lose. They fall in game three to the Golden Knights of round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're now down three games to none. Keep it here on the score as we recap the loss, analyze what went wrong, and get you ready for a win or go home game four. Right here on Sports Radio 670 The Score, Radio.com Sports Station. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 